Well, God bless you and welcome to Necessary Equipping and Truth, Series 3. This is Session 5, I Would Not Have You Ignorant. Well, praise the Lord. Tonight's session I've entitled, I Would Not Have You Ignorant. And I've made mention of this briefly in the past, but there are seven places in Scripture where it clearly says that God would not have us to be ignorant about various things. And when you see the number seven like that, it's significant that He has given us that to point out to us throughout the Scripture that those seven things are now through a figure of speech being pointed out to us as being important. I'll just quickly look at them with you. In, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 24, we've seen that we're going to receive the reward of our inheritance as we continue to be faithful. So when God gives us these things, He gives them to us for a purpose so that we can know, so that we can be strong, and that we can be faithful with the idea that we would have a full inheritance. Now in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, it says, Because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness, by the man He has ordained, He has given assurance of this to all by the raising Him from the dead. And I might add that He has also raised us from the dead in Christ Jesus. That our assurance comes in the resurrection. And God has prepared us for the things that we're now to accomplish for Him in this world. And by accomplishing those things in obedience for Him now, we are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, which are part of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. Now, as we've said, there are seven places in Scripture where we're told not to be ignorant of certain things. Now, in some of the more modern translations, these aren't translated consistently. In the King James, it's very clear because each one of these places is translated the same from the Greek that we are not to be ignorant. If you were to look it up in the Greek, it comes from the Greek word agneo, A-G-N-O-E-O. Now, the first place where we see this is in Romans chapter 1, verse 13, where we are told that we should not be ignorant of Paul's desire to have lasting fruit in the kingdom. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it's explained to us that we should not be ignorant of those that have gone before us, the examples of those that have gone before us. We see that spoken of in Romans 15, verse 4, where it says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So we're not to be ignorant of the Scriptures. Matter of fact, I've said it before, it's good to remind ourselves that all that they accomplished in the book of Acts, in the early church, that they accomplished with the knowledge that came from the Old Testament. The Old Testament was the rule book for the New Testament. What we see written down in the New Testament is the revealing of the Old Testament. What you see in the Old Testament is the concealing of the New Testament. So by going and looking and seeing, we can see those mysteries unfolded to us. What they did in the early church was an expounding in their lives of what was written and prophesied in the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, he says, We're not to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, we're told that we should not be ignorant of the tribulations and the commitment to persevere 
as successful Christian disciples. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, we're told that we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, so he can't get an advantage of us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, we're told we're not to be ignorant concerning the resurrection from the dead. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, it refers back to this as being a mystery. So this is one of the mysteries that God has given us to steward, that we should understand all that there is in light of the resurrections of the dead, beginning with Jesus Christ and ending with the last Christian that will ever be raised. And then lastly, we're going to look at, it's not last in canological order, but I put it last because this is where I want to begin tonight. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25, we're seeing how the apostle says that we should not be ignorant of the mystery that blindness has come upon Israel until the time of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And we want to look at this a little bit tonight. Let's begin in Romans chapter 11, verse 20. It says, because of unbelief, they were broken off, speaking of the nation of Israel. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in His goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which was wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so, all Israel will be saved. Now, there has been time in the history of the Christian church and those who are Jews by descent. Well, how shall I say it? It hasn't been such a noble relationship. If you look in the book of Acts, Christianity began as the sect of the Nazarenes. Uh, it began as a sect of Judaism, and therefore uh, it was protected under the Roman law, which gave an exception to the Jews to worship their God instead of the gods of the Romans. So wherever they went, they could have their own synagogues and they could worship Jehovah. Because Christianity was seen as an offshoot of Judaism, it was also protected. There were efforts that were made almost from the beginning to remove that protection, the Roman protection, from the Christians so that they would then be breaking the law in order to worship the one true God. But we see throughout the book of Acts that time and time again, the Romans ruled that, yes, Christianity was a sect of Judaism. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts comes to an end with that still in place. However, we know historically that shortly after the ending of the book of Acts, that that ruling was changed and that exception was removed from Christians and all-out persecution began on Christians for breaking the law and refusing to worship 
the idols of Rome. However, those Jews that had worked so hard to remove the protection from the Christians were just acting out what had already happened a few years before when the same spirit of Antichrist worked to have the Romans crucify Jesus. In order for that to happen, Pilate said, I washed my hands. This is an innocent man. I don't want his blood on my hands. And they said, his blood be upon us and upon our descendants. So by the acting of that spirit of Antichrist, which continued throughout much of Judaism, when they worked so hard to remove the protection off of the body of Christ, it was simply the same spirit working. However, Christianity then continued to prosper and increase in spite of persecution, and yet Judaism ended as a nation shortly thereafter. Within a few short years of the governmental exception being lifted off of Christianity, that same government brought tremendous judgment on Israel, the nation, and Israel ceased to exist as a nation for almost 2,000 years. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, in verses 2 and 3, Jehovah said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that promise was given to Abraham, and that promise is valid to this day. But in Christ Jesus, there became available a blessing through the seed of Abraham that was to all the world, as it says there. In your seed will all the world be blessed. So through Jesus of Nazareth, salvation came not just to the Jews, but to the Jews first and then to the rest of the world. And as we'll read in Romans chapter 9, in verse 6, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac. For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Now he mentions there, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he says, Those who are the children of the flesh are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as seed. That's us. There is still a natural Israel, and there's still a promise to them. But that promise was made through them, through Jesus and when it was rejected, it can be accepted by anyone. And we then are a spiritual Israel. 
But that does not discount that there's still a promise to Israel. Now, there are many descendants of Abraham. There are many problems to this day in the Middle East that stem through children of Abraham all the way back. There are some that are children, descendants of Abraham through Esau. And they feel like they have a right to the land which God promised to the seed of Isaac. There are children who are descendants of Esau who feel that they have a right to the land that God promised through Isaac. And so there will continue to be battles and there will continue to be disagreement until Jesus comes and settles it. But they're all seed of Abraham, but salvation came through Isaac. And the promise of the inheritance came through Isaac. Now, it came through Isaac through Jesus. Those others, descendants of Abraham, look to another, I'm talking about as nations, look to another as their prophet. But the Savior, Jesus, is still available to anyone who wants to come and be part of spiritual Israel. And the promise is through Jesus Christ. And He was the gift which God gave to us. Now in Romans chapter 16, I'll read verse 25 and 26. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest, and by the prophetic scripture has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. A mystery kept secret since the world began. God has placed many secrets and mysteries in His Word for us to find. But we can search them out now, where before you could have looked forever. And the prophets looked and looked, even the angels looked, but could not see some of the things which God had hidden. But now we have the Holy Spirit to disclose to us the things which have been prepared by God and the things that have been accomplished by Him and His Son. One of those secrets was that there would be a spirit which he would give to all people who would come to him and any who would call upon his name could be saved however as we read back in romans 11 that even though god had cut them off broken them off because of their disobedience he told us the gentile church not to be haughty but to fear because he would just as well cut us off. Talking about inheritance. Not talking about salvation, as we've learned in other places, but talking about an inheritance. That if you don't run according to the rules, you will not receive your reward. And unfortunately, through history, because God began to bring judgment on the nation of Israel, because of their disobedience, hundreds of years later, a doctrine crept into the Christian church that we should then carry out judgment upon the Jews. And this, unfortunately, has happened in the past. That there has been ungodly judgment brought out upon the nation of Israel or the people of the descendants of Israel by the church. This ought not to be. We're exhorted by God to be humble and to not get puffed up, but to understand with humility that God has called us as the Gentile church to draw Israel in to the promise that was first given to them. Not to punish them. That's not our place. 
And really, there's repentance that needs to happen. Because the promise is still, the natural promise is still to Israel, even as the supernatural promise is to all who receive Jesus Christ. And both those promises are the same promise in Abraham that was given to him. Now, there's that mystery that the Christian church is built upon. We're going to begin to look into this. Now, let's look in 1 Corinthians, and we'll start in chapter 2, verse 6. However, we speak the wisdom of God among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Things that were written, that were hidden, that eye had not seen, ear had not heard of, were hidden until they couldn't change. Once Jesus was raised from the dead, those things were irrevocable. They were set in stone, so to speak. Nothing that the devil could do could ever change it now. But they had to be hidden so that they could come to pass. But now we have a spirit which searches all those things and reveals these things to us. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, in verse 2 it says, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation He made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the, His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. The dispensation... Another translation calls this the administration of grace. That we are in an administration of grace. That the mystery which has been hidden is now revealed that we can now walk in the blessings of that mystery. As we saw in 1 Corinthians 2, that we are only able to explain this mystery to people who are becoming mature. That's why a foundation has to be laid before we can really get into some of these great mysteries so that we can steward them. I've shared some of these great truths with people who didn't have a foundation and almost always was like, oh, I knew that, the response. Or, oh, well, what's the big deal? I don't understand what's so big about that or what's so important about that. Well, if it was so important that God kept it hidden from the beginning of the world, it was so important that Jesus had to die in order to bring it to pass, I should say it's very important. That's why we need to have some groundwork laid so we can build up, become disciples of what the Lord has taught us to do and become stewards of the mysteries that He has given to us. So we can appreciate a little bit of, about what He has accomplished and handed down to us. That we can be partakers of the promise that's available to us in Christ. The promise which came in Abraham that was first to the 
the nation of Israel, that we can be partakers in the fullness of that inheritance now. We have it available to us where it was not available before Jesus made it available. Now, scripturally, there are seven administrations that you can see broken down in Scripture. And each one of them has a transitional period, some longer than others. But those seven administrations which you see on the earth, the first one being the paradise, the second one being the patriarchal, then the law, then the gospel, then the church age or the age of grace that we just read of, then the kingdom administration, and then the fullness, or Paul calls it the administration of the fullness of time. And each of those has a transitional period. For instance, Moses clearly was a patriarch, but he was also the transition into the law. So for 40 years, there was a transitional period. You see that in the book of Acts. You see the time of the gospel of Jesus Christ with His administration on earth, which was the beginning of the end for the period of the law. And when He finished, He said, I have fulfilled the law and the prophets. But in practice, that still continued. And then there was a period of time where it continued in, in practice in the nation of Israel, but there was a transition period into the church as we see it today. There was a time when that completely came to an end in 70 A.D. when all the genealogies were destroyed, when the temple was destroyed, and sacrifice according to the law of Moses and the Levitical law could no longer continue because what was needed in order to accomplish those sacrifices and those Levitical practices were no longer available. However, we continue to this day to walk in grace and see the administration of grace and to see the effects of the mystery which was kept hidden. Some of it we see, we don't even recognize that it wasn't available before. And some of it we miss because we don't even recognize because it has not been revealed to us even to this day. And yet, it works. It's working in the world today and it will continue until the fullness of time. Now in Matthew 24, in verse 3, you can see some of the things when the disciples came to Jesus and were asking Him questions about the change in administration. They understood they were asking questions about the change of administration. They understood that the law was for a time. They did not understand all the details of it. You can also see some of this in Mark 13. But in chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 3, it says, Now as He sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? You see, they had been in Jerusalem and they had been looking at the temple and all the magnificent buildings and structures that were there and they'd made comments on them. And Jesus said, there's a time coming when not one of these stones will even be standing on the other. And he went on to say that these things are going to come to pass while this generation is still here. We know that did happen. And when they came to him afterwards and they said to him, When will these things be? And he gave them instructions, which we know that those that were living at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, they listened to what he said and they were able to remove themselves from that place and they were not destroyed as so many were. But no Christians were there at that time. There's not a record of a single Christian being in the city of Jerusalem during the siege of Jerusalem. 
They all got out by reading or by listening to what Jesus said and passing it down to others. What will be the sign of your coming? Was their next question. Many people, when we read that, we see that and we say, again, we read that and we think, what will be the sign of your return? Now, we know now, from what we've studied about the coming of the Lord, that it doesn't say return. It says, what will be the sign of your coming? And it means exactly that. However, we also have to put ourselves in the position that those disciples were in at the time. At that time, they were not even aware that Jesus was going to leave. They weren't aware that he was going to die because he'd been trying to explain it to them and they just could not see it or understand it. When he said, I go to prepare a place for you, but I'm going to come again, they talked to each other and said, oh, where is he going? So when they say, what will be the sign of your coming? We see it from a different perspective and we misinterpret that whole section because we think of it as, oh, they're asking him, what will be the sign of your return? That wasn't their question at all because they didn't have that mindset or that stronghold. What were they referring to? You see it again in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When they gathered with Jesus up on the Mount of Olives, just before His ascension, and what did they say to Him? They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What were they expecting? They knew from Scripture that God was going to send a Messiah, that the Messiah was going to come to Israel, but that He was going to then set up a kingdom, and He was going to rule from Jerusalem. So it was natural for them to expect that now that the Messiah is here, that now he's going to set up his kingdom. They expected that. It didn't happen the way they thought, and it didn't happen as quickly as they thought, because he first came to set up a supernatural kingdom before he set up that supernatural kingdom on the earth. So when they were asking him, what will be the sign of your coming? In their mind, they were saying, what will be the sign of your coming into your kingdom? They were looking for a king that would come and kick Rome out. He had a much bigger vision than that. And then they said, and what will be the sign of the end of the age? And you've got to understand, when you look at the words, for instance, end and age, some translations say the end of the world. Well, we know from Scripture that the world is not going to end. Age is the proper word. What will be the sign of the end of the age? The end of the administration. And that was going to come to an end very quickly. They just didn't realize it. And then there were going to be, a, even the transitional period would end and would be totally handed over to the church. The grace of God to the world would be totally given to the church to be administered in a very short time. So when you're looking at that section, they're asking questions which were answered and they were speaking of the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. And they were speaking of the coming into his kingdom. And they were talking about the end of the age, not the end of the world. In John chapter 12, verse 15 and 16, you see, it says, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. You see, there were many things that Jesus explained to them that they could not understand. They had strongholds, they had perspectives, which they needed to change, and they needed the Holy Spirit. When was He glorified? When He was 
raised from the dead in his glorified body, and then when he ascended on high and sat down at the right hand of God. Then, on the day of Pentecost, when they received the Spirit, many things began to come back to them, and many things began to make sense that before they could not understand. When we begin to understand things through the resurrection, Scripture itself and our life begin to take on a whole new meaning and a whole different direction and a whole different light. When Peter was preaching in Jerusalem in the early days of the church, he talked about those things which God foretold by the mouth of his apostles. And in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 3 in Acts, he said to repent and be converted, that your sins would be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and he may send Jesus Christ. Now he was talking to men who did not even believe Jesus was the Messiah, who certainly did not believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead, and he was telling them as Jews that they needed to believe so that times of refreshing could come, which were prophesied in the Old Testament, which did not happen at the time of Jesus' first coming to Israel. But Peter was speaking of it. Look, if you as Israel will believe, times of refreshing will come, your sins will be blotted out. Those promises are also for us when we receive Jesus as Lord. And he says, and he will send Jesus Christ, something that they weren't necessarily wanting. They just crucified him not that long before. But look at it from our perspective in an understanding of the coming of the Lord. The timing of the second coming, if I can call it that, so you'll understand what I'm saying, is timed with Israel receiving their Savior. And the time that we're in, the administration that we're in, the administration of grace as we've seen it, or the administration of the church is for now. But there's a time at the end when the nation of Israel will receive their Savior, Jesus. Times of refreshing will come, and He, God, will send Jesus Christ. Wow. We understand that when Jesus, in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when He went into the synagogue and really began His ministry, He read from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. He said, The Spirit of the Lord... God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And it says in Luke that he closed the book, which was a scroll, and he sat down and he said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. But the rest of that verse says, And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So he sat down and said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Had he read the rest of that verse, And the day of vengeance of our God, he could have read that, but he could not then have said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Because he understood that was still future. And that's what those disciples kept asking him. Lord, when is the rest of that going to happen? They were expecting it much sooner than it actually happened. God began to show forth his vengeance as a punishment because of disobedience. But there's a time coming when he's going to show it to the whole earth also. But Jesus was able to divide those things so that he could get his ministry timed correctly. 
He understood Scripture. And just because something is written does not mean it's going to flow without a break. But it is all going to come to pass. Not one jot or one tittle is not going to come to pass. And in Romans chapter 11, verse 15, we read about Israel. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? I believe, again, as Paul is discussing with the Gentiles, an understanding of Israel that he was letting them know that because Israel rejected their Messiah as a whole, not everyone in Israel did, obviously. All the first apostles were from Israel. But as a whole, they did reject him. And so it was given to the Gentiles to come in. But Paul is still saying, look, God's promise is still valid. And it is going to happen that they are going to come back and receive him. And what is that going to mean? When they were disobedient, the whole world was blessed. So what kind of blessing do you think is going to come when every one of them believes? I'll tell you what kind of a blessing is going to come. The resurrection of the dead. And what is the resurrection of the dead timed with? Jesus coming. Amen? <laughs> I'm for that. I'm for His coming today. I'm for His coming tomorrow. But I'm for that coming also. Amen? For all of us. Praise the Lord. Now, much of the Christian church has understood in history that the coming of the Lord for His church was timed with the receiving of the Messiah through Israel. And so many have prayed for the peace of Jerusalem. But we also, as I've mentioned before, have got some things to repent for where there have been some pretty terrible things that were done in the name of God against the seed of Abraham. It's God's place to judge. It's our place to judge ourselves by the Word. If we'll do that we can be true stewards of God. Judge ourselves by the word, but judge blessings to those whom God has blessed. He said, whoever blesses the seed of Abraham will be blessed. Amen? Well, Peter also believed this, I think. In uh, 2 Peter 3.12, he said, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt, with fervent heat. Those things are going to happen when that administration of the fullness of time. Before that can happen, the Lord has to come. And he said we can look for and we can hasten that day. You could imply that if we can hasten it, we could also hold it up. <laughs> so there are things that need to happen before he comes. Now, no man knows the day or the hour. But we are rebuked from Scripture if we don't know the seasons. And if we don't know the signs, and if we don't know the instructions, so that we can be faithful. Amen? We want to be faithful. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, beginning in verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Now when we're looking at verses that have to do with the end of anything, we need to look at the Greek words that are translated end, because there's different words. There's one, sun telos, which means basically 
the end period. Then this word here, the word telos, which means the very end of the period of time you're speaking of. So we can talk about the end days, and those end days could be hundreds of years long, but they're still the end days. Or we can talk about the end, and it can be the telos, meaning the very, very last day. But then we can talk about the telos of the day, and it could be the end of the last day, not just the last day of the end. So you have to look at those so you can understand. They don't always clearly show themselves in the language that the Hebrew or the Greek has been translated into. But if we'll look, because many wrong interpretations of Scripture have happened because we've looked at words and we've made whole doctrines based upon what we think that word means and it would have been clear to those whom it was originally written to. For instance, I'll give you a little example. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, he says, In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the last trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So, obviously, it says the resurrection is going to happen at the last trumpet. So, we have people who have based doctrines by simply going into the book of Revelation, finding the place in the book where the very last trumpet is blown. And therefore, they then say, that's where the resurrection is going to happen. And that makes sense, because it says, at the time of the last trumpet... That's when the resurrection is going to happen. So we can go and we can find that last trumpet. However, if we do that, we'll find that it doesn't fit with other scriptures because we don't have a full understanding that we have to understand scriptures in light of whom they were written to. And when it says the last trumpet, it's not talking about the very last trumpet that's ever going to blow in all of eternity. The last trumpet was the name of a tune that was one of the tunes played on shofars by the priests known by the Hebrew name, Takwa Gadal. Like, for instance, we in our military have a tune called Taps, which they play on a trumpet at the end of the day to signify the end of the day. So that's our last trumpet. So at the sound of the last trumpet, lights out. Go to bed. If you don't turn out your lights and go to bed at the last trumpet, you get written up. However, we'll have a time when the last trumpet will blow. It'll be a spiritual trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise, and those who are alive and remain will meet Him in the air. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to ever be any other trumpets blown in eternity. I'm certain that there will be. But at that tune, called the last trump, we will get up. If we don't understand that, and we begin to interpret Scripture in light of a misunderstanding, we then have wrong doctrine, don't we? Our intentions might be good, but we have to know what it says so we can understand important mysteries which can affect our lives. Well, okay, now we're looking at some of the mysteries that we've seen here that we're not to be ignorant of. We've touched on some of the timing of His coming for the church and the resurrection of the dead. And we know the Scripture says, that we're going to be blessed and repaid in the resurrection of the just. It says that in Luke chapter 14, verse 14. We know that when Jesus approached Martha after Lazarus had died, in John chapter 11, and she said, I know that Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. 
But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She believed the scripture and the prophecy about the resurrection in the future. What Jesus was trying to explain to her was that through him it was available to enter into the future promises today. Through the resurrection. Again, our inheritance is laid up for us to be received at the resurrection. But as faithful stewards, we are called upon to reach into that promise and reach into our inheritance now and bring of those blessings now ahead of time to give to the world now. In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, it says, With great power the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. It's through the witness of the resurrection that we enter into the fullness of the administration of grace that we walk in and live in now, that we can manifest the tremendous grace from heaven, the portal, I guess you could say, or the door to entering in and receiving that grace is the resurrection. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us that were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we are buried with Him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of His death. Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. We have already begun to enter into the fullness of His resurrection because we died in Christ. The baptism that we undergo is a symbol and a sign of the death, burial, and resurrection. For us, it's a sign and a symbol. For Him, it was the real thing. But as we receive Jesus, we have begun to enter into the real thing. We're going to look more at this in the future. But now let's go to 1 Corinthians 15 again. Verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Everything that we have, the promises that we enter into now, are all through Jesus and available because of His resurrection. Let's continue in verse 41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. 
The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first but the natural, and afterwards the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are, are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption, and the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We must understand that if we don't keep in our minds clearly an understanding that Jesus is coming for us to reward those who have been faithful. If we don't truly believe in the resurrection, we won't be able to stay faithful. If we don't truly believe in the resurrection, we will not be able to walk in power. Now I understand to be saved, we have all confessed Jesus as Lord and believed that God raised Him from the dead. But the power only begins there. Our salvation comes through that belief. That's the way into salvation. As we begin to walk in that power, we begin to look into the Scriptures. We begin to believe what they say. There are many that are saved that don't really believe the Word, either because they have not been taught or because they deny it. But Jesus is not only the way, but He is also the truth. There are those that are like Pilate that could look Him in the face and say, What is truth? There are some that have come to Jesus as Savior, and still say, well, what is truth? Who can say what truth is? So they've not come to know Him as the truth. But He is not only the way, but He is the truth. But when we come to the place where we begin to understand His resurrection, not only that He was raised from the dead in the past, but that there's a present reality of the spirit of the resurrection that we have now, that we presently have, not just that in the future we'll be raised incorruptible. Not only just that in the future we'll have the fullness of that. But now we have available the possibility of walking in that grace. Then we begin to see Jesus Christ as our life. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is all three. 
But we must grow up to understand Him as the truth. And we must grow up more in our walk to understand Him as our life. When we do begin to walk in the power and the understanding of the resurrection, then we begin to manifest life through the grace of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. We are continuing to be perfected. Isn't that what Christianity is all about? Isn't that what we're doing now? We're being perfected through the Word of God. We're being conformed into His image by obedience. Often by sacrifice, but always by obedience. Even the Apostle Paul said, Not that I have already attained, but I'm pressing in. All of your inheritance, all of your promises, all of your heavenly rewards are tied up in the resurrection. If the Apostle himself said, Not that I have already attained. Maybe we should also take his advice where he said, Those that think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Many times we have, as the church I'm saying, we in the past historically have done evil to our brethren, descendants of Abraham, because we did not take heed to what he wrote in that we ought to be humble because we're not the natural branches. We were grafted in. But we got puffed up in the pride of the blessing which we were given. Isn't that exactly what Lucifer's sin was? He got puffed up in the pride of the blessing which he was given. So... We still make mistakes. We need to turn from those. But we can. And we can walk in newness of life. And we can walk in resurrection power. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Through these NETS courses, we're not trying to reveal everything to you. We're not trying to even disclose all the mysteries of God. What we are trying to do, though, is give you a foundation whereby God can reveal more to you. We are trying to lay foundations which can be built upon that you can see the Scriptures, that you can go to them and understand the mysteries that God has given, and that we can grow and be disciples of His, and that we can be stewards of the mysteries as we understand, but it shouldn't stop there. That we should be giving you the tools so that you can, with one another and with the Holy Spirit, look, live what you know, and learn from Him even more of the mysteries of God, the things that you need at that time. He will give them to us. I'm trying to lay foundations and give you tools which the Spirit has given through His Scriptures and that we can walk in and be blessed and walk in grace and power and authority even now and in the future to come. Now we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, a symbol of the power of the resurrection that we can begin to enter into. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. 
concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. There was a time when I was thinking about Abraham. I put myself in his place. And here was a man who believed God and for years was faithful in his belief that God was going to bless the world through him and through his seed. That he was going to have a son, and through that son, great blessings would come. And through that son, that there would be a multitude of nations. That when Abraham looked at the sky and saw the stars, that he was going to have seed that was more of a multitude than there were stars in the heavens. He was going to have seed that there was more of a multitude than there were sand on the seaside. And Abraham is the father of all those that believe. So therefore, I knew he must have believed that. And yet there came a day when God Almighty spoke to him and said, I want you to bring your son and I want you to sacrifice him. And I put myself in Abraham's place and I thought, what must he have been thinking? Because Abraham did believe God and yet he also obeyed God. And the instructions that God gave seemed to contradict the promise that he also gave. And so being that Abraham was a man of faith and he had to, believed the promise, and yet he was obedient. So when he took his son, and we know it was a symbol of Jesus, but still, when he took his son, in his mind, he had to be expecting that God was going to raise that son from the dead. He had to have believed that. And here we see this in Hebrews 11. That's exactly what happened. He had concluded that God was able to even raise him up from the dead. Now, we know that God stopped him, but he received him in a symbol nevertheless. We now have available to us even a greater power than what was available to Abraham. He received a symbol. We have received the real thing. He received the prophetic. We have received the actual. It's possible for us to walk in that mystery, and the great grace that comes through that mystery, that that promise that was given way back then, so many times the enemy came against that promise, trying to end the promised seed. And each time he tried, he failed, even though there were times when it looked like he was going to succeed. But even so, once Jesus was raised from the dead, that promise expanded to the whole entire world. And it's kind of like, when Moses hit that rock, and when the water began to flow out of that rock, it became a river. And when that spirit began to fall upon the earth, it has continued to increase and increase and increase to this day. And that little stone has become a rock, which is becoming a mountain, which is filling the whole earth. And that's the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We have today not only our salvation, which is in Jesus, but also we have the ability through the Holy Spirit to begin to understand truth, not just a head knowledge, because knowledge puffs up, but true knowledge that we can be rightly dividing the scriptures so that we can stand approved before God is that we take the understanding and apply it. That's truth. 
when we can actually take it and live it, then we begin to walk in the fullness of truth. Jesus said, I always do the will of the one that sent me. We also ought to always do the will of the one that has sent us. Now, then there's the life that we can walk in, that we can walk above the natural life that we now live and breathe in, but we have available to us something that is so much above, something that's so much greater that even tonight we have only just barely touched on the mystery of it, but it, it is available to us, and if we'll seek Him, He will show us. If we'll look at what He has already promised, He will reveal to us more. Because we are called not to be children of this world, but we are called to be in this world, but not of this world, but to manifest in this world those things which come from a heavenly world. We now, during this time of transition from the gospel period into the time of the kingdom, we are to preach the gospel of the kingdom and we are to live in the power of the resurrection and to walk in a place of great grace, reaching the world with something that they cannot comprehend but they dearly desire after because they have been created by God to receive that which we have to give. Amen.